Welcome to Salty Talks, a podcast about all things aquaculture in Maine. I'm Corinne Newfie, the communications specialist at the Aquaculture Research Institute. And today I'm down in Portland, Maine with Libby Davis, the owner of Lady Shuckers. I want to cover a topic that's really important to me personally, which is the power of representation within aquaculture. And I'm really excited to hear what Libby has to say. So I will turn it over to her to introduce herself more. Thanks, Corinne. Uh, Yeah. Hey, everybody. Um, My name is Libby. I'm I'm the founder and owner operator of Lady Chuckers Mobile Raw Bar and Event Company based here in Portland. And uh, yeah, so excited to be on for the salty talk today, um, repping uh, the Maine oyster farmers and Maine aquaculture. Thanks, Libby. So before we get into it, can you talk a bit about your background and how you got involved in aquaculture before owning Lady Shuckers? Yeah, that is a really great story and question. So yeah, my background is not traditionally in aquaculture. I studied um, biology at like a hippie school in Vermont, environmental liberal arts school. And um, yeah, I did some animal studies work as well. But um, yeah, after I graduated, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my career path. So I went into the Peace Corps um, and I served for three years uh, in Madagascar as, as an agriculture and food security volunteer there where I was doing a lot of like income generating projects for farmers there so um, in a lot of developing countries their business um, it's a lot of agriculture business so they're focusing on the products that they're growing and how to get them into uh, different markets to make money um, so I did some really cool like uh, vegetable production products and also introduced like a rabbit farming project. Um, and I just worked with a lot of farmers over there and it was really amazing to uh, learn about their story and you know, farmers, they're, uh, they're working the land. They're really busy. It's a very labor intensive job. And so um, they kind of need help um, sometimes to be able to build the supply chain. So. When I came back to Maine um, after that really transformative experience, I uh, yeah met someone um, who was an oyster farmer. Um, his name is John Harrigal. He's the owner operator um, of Maine Oyster Company in Portland, and I became the general manager of Maine Oyster Company for two and a half years. And uh, John and I kind of built um, the restaurant up together, and I had never even eaten an oyster before. I was vegetarian for a long time. Um, I am a Mainer born and raised, but I just, I wasn't really familiar with the industry, but um, in learning about the industry with John, I learned about the sustainable impact of, of oysters and the positive benefits they have both on human health and environmental health and just kind of fell in love with that sustainability story of it. Yeah, wanted to have something to contribute to the industry and met a lot of amazing farmers um, in that bar and created relationships. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how I originally got into it. I also studied biology and went to a weird hippie liberal arts <laughs> yeah. college and graduated and was like, okay. Yeah. Did AmeriCorps, not the Peace Corps, but yep. that's funny. Yeah. Similar trajectories. If I am remembering this right, Lady Shuckers originally started with money from Maine Sea Grant. That yep, that's correct. Yep, we were able to pitch the whole concept um, in twenty twenty after the pandemic. Um, yeah, I just saw doors close of restaurants, and I know that's a main source of revenue for a lot of my farmers. So the kind of idea launched out of like, well, geez, like 
yeah, we need a more sustainable and kind of diverse way to connect the supply and demand, um, these amazing products and the stories. Um, you know, God forbid anything like that ever happens again. So we need kind of a more diverse avenue to uh, get the product out there. So yeah, we, we pitched the concept um, to Maine Sea Grant and we were able to get some startup funding for that for a COVID relief project um, as a way to diversify and build the supply chain in aquaculture. That noise was my calendar telling me I'm supposed to be recording <laughs> be a podcast with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're on track. Good. You were talking about, like, you were seeing these uh, restaurants shutting down and whatnot with the pandemic. So was Lady Shuckers or this event of a, or this concept of a mobile raw bar always on your radar? Or did you ever think about, like, going into the aquaculture industry as a farmer? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And yeah, yes to both. I mean, so after learning about oysters and the story, I just, like, completely fell in love with, you know, the product and the narrative. And I definitely wanted to, like have a contribution and also support, um, you know, the women that I met. So I made a lot of amazing, you know, friends in this industry and I wanted a way to be able to support their farms and to tell their story and just kind of create community um, around uh, oysters and aquaculture for, for the women in the sector and um, other underrepresented groups. Um, so yeah, I actually really did want to be an oyster farmer. You know, it took a couple expanders for me. Um, a, some of the like big role models were like Emily's Oysters, um, Emily Selinger, Amanda Mosier of Lean's Island, Krista Tripp of Aphrodite Oysters, and these women would come into the oyster bar, um, you know, with their extra tough boots on and like legs covered <laughs> in mud with these like beautiful oysters. And um, I just kind of thought like, wow, like if they can do it, you know, I can kind of do it too. So. Um, it was a lot about representation for me. I kind of needed to see other folks in that role, I think, to um, believe that I could uh, do it. There were a lot of amazing role models for me at the time, but um, a lot of them were cis white males, which were great and incredibly supportive, but um, it was definitely the women in the industry that um, really made a, a big impact on me, and I just wanted to support their operation, and I did want to become a farmer, but after the pandemic, I saw that the need was maybe less about farming and more about how to diversify the market and how do we get the product to the market because um, yeah, people were hungry for the information. They uh, wanted to be educated about aquaculture and um, yeah, so it was more about the developing the supply chain than farming, but I think a farm is on the horizon someday. That'd be awesome, a Lady Shuckers farm. Yes, yes. That'd be great. Do you know how many women-owned farms there are in Maine? Like a quarter of them or something? Yeah, so I, I think there's like 200 and maybe like 20 oyster farms in the state of Maine, um, or maybe like 200, and uh, I believe 25 of those are owned by women. I, I'm not sure the numbers exactly, but I know it's like 15% okay. um, are owned and operated, and in the last like six years since I've been in the industry, um, I've definitely seen that number like double, which is very, very cool, um, and there's certainly still uh, a lot of oceanfront left for people to... Um, start aquaculture uh, farms. Uh, one of the my favorite statistics, you know, if people think like, oh, are we like, you know, farming too much of the coastline or, you know, is there still room for me to get involved in this industry that has expanded very rapidly over the last six years? Um, it's that if you take all the approved leasing acreage in the state of Maine and combine them all together, it still makes up less than 1% of the coastline. So there's still plenty of space available. Wow, that's a lot less than I would have expected. I mean, Maine does have a very long 
coastline, but I feel like we've also got a lot of great farms along the coastline. There Although, is a lot of farms. Yeah, they're they're small, and it, that's if you combine kelp and mussels and scallops and oysters and 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 all these things. Um, shout out uh, Maine Aquaculture Association for <laughs> that stuff. So I'm sure in your time working at Maine Oyster Company, and then now obviously owning Lady Shuckers, you've met very many. Um, women who own oyster farms along the way and have had many conversations with them. Through these conversations, I'm curious if you notice or you have any opinions as to unique contributions that women can make to the aquaculture industry and why it's almost crucial to have their presence and their perspective in the industry as well. I think women in general have very... uh multifaceted and nuanced approach to the way they do business um you know not traditionally ever kind of being bred into that role historically you know it was always kind of the man who was the breadwinner of the household and and who went out there and the women who you know stayed home and took care of the kids so um i think they can bring a lot of empathy and compassion to the workforce as well as um, just a lot of creativity and that's not to say that men can't or you know other other people cannot but yeah I really just I, I, I see how women go out there and aren't afraid to, to, to really market their own product I think that's sometimes a missed opportunity for folks um, because they are busy out on the water and so uh, yeah that's kind of where we come into to help get the word out about what these farms are and, and what they do. You know, I think a lot of the women farms, a lot of them have social media, which is a great way, to, um, and it's an easy way to just kind of start and getting the word out. Um, it, it, it's all part of building, a, a part of building a business is building a brand, you know, and I think women do that exceptionally well. And what about barriers in aquaculture, not in their external life, but actually within the industry? Yeah, well, I think just being like, you know, just like an underrepresented group in the industry, you know, there's 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 obvious challenges to that when you're a minority in there, even though, you know, in Maine, oyster farming and aquaculture, I think we are seeing more women getting involved in terms of the seafood and the fishing industries at large. It's definitely, you know, a largely cis white male dominated sector. And so, um, yeah, I think maybe not having the training to go out r right off the bat. I think maybe if they're, um, you know, faced by different economic barriers, I think if they're faced by, you know, uh, constraints of taking care of children or of taking care of the family, maybe they can't get out and, uh, you know, do what they want to do as much as someone else. But um, moreover, I've seen these barriers be able to be surpassed by women who are feeling more empowered and it's because more women are out there like doing it and it's it's about representation so my goal as you know someone that identifies both um, as a woman and someone as part of the LGBTQIA community is to hopefully be a role model for other people's out there who can say well geez like you know if, if they're doing it you know um, you know I'd like to do it too and maybe they want to get involved in a farm or you know, something something else related to aquaculture. We want to be able to be a source of education for people to, you know, get over those barriers and break those barriers and, um, yeah, be, be sources of inspiration for them. Yeah, I will say also on a personal note, having increased representation in an inclusive space is so huge into welcoming people into this space, like depending on how you're fostering the that that sense of community like for example last last year 
or two years ago, I don't know, whenever NACE was here in Portland, I was thinking about moving to Maine, and I had not moved here yet, and I was at NACE and was scoping the scene to be like, is this a place that I am going to fit in? Do I see people like me? Am I going to be working with people like me, or at least people who appreciate and have the same values that I do? (laughs) And there was this, um, like, it was like women and minorities <laughs> in aquaculture networking happy hour and i saw that on this paper and i like audibly laughed because i was like what is there gonna be like 10 people at this event like what is this but i went anyway and it was like this room was like full of people yeah i remember that event yeah i think i met you at that event yeah, it was um super great to see because also being a woman and being somebody who identifies in the lgbtq plus community I was like, this is great. Like, it's not something that I had seen before working in um, other fisheries research or uh, any other labs or, like, places that I had been before. Um, So I think that's definitely huge, having increased visibility for underrepresented groups in aquaculture. Yeah, and I don't know if Maine is, like, an anomaly to that space or, or not, but I know that Maine is getting, like national and even global attention for the advancements that they're making in aquaculture and i do believe it's because we're including these aspects of dei into our conversation into our programming um i was just on a workforce development call today that we spoke about it and speaking about it from a business owner perspective it's like i want to hire people and have people involved and work with people that are different from me because i know that their experiences will make me a better business owner and will ultimately make the business more resilient in the long run um so it's just really really amazing to be here in maine and growing this business yeah and having like you said working with people that are different from you that sort of is like self-explanatory of the positive impact that it just has on the sector as a whole yeah Half the battle is showing up, you know, you have to, and you have to find your niche too, Um, and it requires you to just kind of, I think, get honest with what's important to you, and then just put it out there for people to see, because, um, yeah, once you put it out there, you'll, the people that are looking for you will be able to find you. When you are having events at your, at your, truck i guess it's not a truck it's a trailer <laughs> we call we call to... it the mobile unit affectionately <laughs> the unit okay when you're having events at your mobile unit and you're shucking these oysters from different women-owned farms are you are you reaching out to different farms and letting them know about lady shuckers if they don't know about lady shuckers or are they coming to you how does that work i think a lot of it the stage was kind of set from the jump just because of my existing network like I did kind of know a lot of people um when we kind of decided to start the business and was already pretty well connected and um yeah it was really just about kind of leveraging the existing relationships um you know I live in Portland and the business was going to be based there so um Obviously, you know, I'd I'd love to have Aphrodite oysters all the time, but that's a little bit of a haul up in South Thomason. Same with, um, you know, my uh, my 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 friend Annie Langston Knoll, who's up in Ellsworth with Pematic Sea Farms. Um, but it's just a little bit of a haul, so we started kind of just looking at, you know, what are the women-owned farms that are based, you know, nearby in this area that are easy, you know, for us to source as we're just starting out and it's a small company with only, you know, three employees. Um, so, so yeah, a lot of the farms that we source from are from that Freeport Yarmouth area. Um, Emily's Oysters, as I mentioned, she was already, um, has built her business like 
to such an amazing level um, in such a short period of time. So I'm very, and she has her own outlets for marketing at the farmer's market. So I'm very grateful that I get to, uh, you know, source her product and she, um, you know, supplies me. Um, there's Alicia Gallero, who's, I think you interviewed her once before, um, who's the owner of Naughty Sisters Sea Farm. Um, you know, same deal. She was like a very good friend. She was actually an intern at Maine Oyster Company when we both worked <laughs> there. And uh, yeah, one of the original Lady Shuckers think tank. Uh, yeah, person that provided a lot of amazing uh, ideas when we were first thinking about the project. And then uh, Amanda Mosier is someone that, you know, doesn't really do the social media aspect of it, but um, just grows an amazing bottom grown oyster out in the Royal River in Yarmouth. And so I knew I wanted to be able to have her product and then there's other people like like Bailey Coffin who's Empress Oysters um, out in the Harris Secret River and uh, there's there's Darcy Couture who's up in Harpswell who has the Whiskey Stones Oysters so yeah I guess the simplest way to answer it is to just yeah we just leveraged kind of these existing uh, relationships and you know when we had licenses up up to run it was just kind of like okay we're calling people and uh, you know we do little oyster uh, drug deal, put the oysters in the cooler and tag it up. Um, we're proud members of the Maine Family Sea Farm Cooperative um, that's based in Yarmouth, so that's kind of our, our dealership where people drop product. And do you have any stories of people that like reach out to you or who then don't know of these farms like Naughty Sisters or Emily's Oysters and maybe reach out to them and want to like apprentice with them or maybe they want to... Um... Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of times people... <laughs> Definitely this summer when I was, uh, you know, looking for our aquaculture pioneer internship to leverage some of the Educate Maine funding, um, uh, we got a ton of applicants, but everybody thought we were an oyster farm. And so <laughs> I kind of had to break the news to them in the interview process that we weren't actually a farm and we actually did this to market supply chain in a shucking service. Um, both in the mobile unit with the pop-ups, um, you know, at different organizations around town, as well as the private catering that we do for corporate events, um, you know, sailboat crews and weddings and things like that. And so it was kind of more of a food truck, hospitality, you know, catering company vibe. And um, yeah, I was happy to direct them uh, to the people who <laughs> own the farms to get the real farm experience. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good entry point though, I think for people, you know, to, if you like the product and you like the story, you know, start working in the restaurant and, and understand, you know, the supply chain and then maybe you can backfill it with a farm someday. I mean, that's literally how I got my start in it and it's what I still do. And I've also been noticing, like, we were talking about this, oh, I guess we were talking about it before we started recording, so no one else would know that, but, <laughs> um, talking about like, uh, Julia with Sage, the Seafood and Gender Equality podcast, and Amani with Minorities and Aquaculture. There seems to be more of these types of organizations or nonprofits popping up, which is great. Do you, does Lady Shuckers, uh, have any collaborations or partnerships with like Julia and Amani, for example? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, as we, we mentioned, I think. Um... Yeah, both Amani and MIA and Julia of Seafood and Gender Equality Sage, we, we all kind of started our enterprises around the same time, like, um, you know, about two years ago now, two and a half years ago. And uh, it was really cool to get connected from the jump and then kind of see each other 
its growth over a period of time to to build you know one by one and and to celebrate each other's accomplishments and see each other at at conferences see each other hire people um so yeah we've definitely done some very cool collaborative stuff um with MIA we've uh we're We'd, we'd like to have an intern from them um, at some point, but it's kind of that, that same thing. We got to be able to match, you know, the, the right person that wants to be in kind of the food service industry side of, um, you know, oysters and aquaculture. And definitely have had the uh, pleasure of being at several conferences um, with Imani and just generating an awesome friendship. And then, uh, yeah, Julie, same thing. We just recorded a podcast episode for her show, The Conch. Um, couple weeks ago so that'll be airing soon make sure to check that out on your favorite listening platforms I'll put up a link yeah (laughs) and uh yeah we've also been a part of this really amazing community of practice um and that has been this kind of like underlying community that uh the Meridian Institute has brought a bunch of folks together who's enterprises have a vested interest in increasing diversity inclusion in the aquaculture industry and uh, we've all kind of just generated different ideas about how to create a business case about why it's important for people to include DEI in their business models I think for their aquaculture or seafood business Um, and that's been a really really interesting uh, community to tap into and to just share success stories um, from what works for, for me and, and my business. It's like my business is, a, a large component of it is built around DEI and it's like, it's it's been successful, you know? So um, yeah, it just goes to show you that when you include aspects of things like that, you know, I've had people reach out specifically because they want to, you know, support a vertically integrated network of, you know, women farming oysters and women bringing them to market and shucking them. So I think it wasn't in my plan to have this kind of, like marketing advantage, but um, it's definitely proven to be a reason why people want to book us. You know, use your platform to like spread the DEI word, get get other people on the train who should be, but maybe aren't. Absolutely. However we can like be a leader and like, you know, continue to build a sustainable and equitable seafood future by like empowering women and underrepresented groups and collaborating, um, you know, we're doing our job. I'm sure you get this question a lot and it's like kind of on the same level as like, what are you doing after college type question? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what are, what do you see as like the future potential of Lady Shuckers? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, no pressure. Yeah. No, I think three (laughs) things come to mind like immediately, you know, cause like I love shucking oysters. I've shucked a lot of oysters. (laughs) It's not exactly rocket science. Um, Okay, I just have to throw this edit in here because, yeah, maybe it's not rocket science, but if I'm going to quote Chris Burtis from uh, a couple episodes back, shout out to the Shuckers because, I mean, I think it's up there with rocket science in the amount of time that it takes me to shuck a single oyster. I am so sure Libby has probably shucked like five or six at that point. I'm, I'm pretty good at it these days. I just placed second in a statewide competition over the weekend at the Maine Oyster Festival in Freeport. Um, second to my buddy Andy Rogers of Jolly Rogers, which I'm coming for him next year. We did that last year. He placed first, <laughs> I placed second. But yeah, I mean, chucking's great, but I think 
the the vision and the mission that this company has um it surpasses just shucking right so we want to provide experiential raw bar events with local clients we want to elevate the main brand we want to harness the power of partnerships and entrepreneurship and we want to target intersectionality in our community and so in order to do that we need to be able to bring more people in i think the infrastructure has now been built so how do we you know let other people come in to run the day-to-day -day operations and then how do we expand into other areas and i think those areas do include an oyster farm um i'm actually getting some oyster seed this week hey, and from uh, where? yeah yeah uh from muskungus, muskungus um, yeah lovely. so we'll be able to put that in the water and just see how that goes and uh yeah, as well as just kind of look at more different ways to build out the to market supply chain of these oysters, right? How do we get more of these oysters into people's hands and into their homes? Because such a small percentage of the seafood that we eat is actually eaten in the household. A lot of it's just eaten at restaurants. Um, so we want to be bumping up our learn to shuck classes. Um, we do those once a month at different venues. We have one um, this weekend, June 30th in Kenny Bunkport at the Yachtsman uh, Hotel and Marina. And we just want to be continuing to teach people how to open oysters um, and, and get them into their houses so they can pick them up from their local seafood market for a fraction of the price and source from their favorite farms, learn about them, and then be able to, you know, put on an event for, for their friends and family at their household. So different ways to do kind of those events. I think um, I was a part of Maine's first oyster shell recycling project we did like a pilot program here in Maine and it was really fascinating it was um, we were collecting the shells to uh, put back into the ocean for ocean to remediate ocean acidification in the tidal intertidal zones and unfortunately that project ran out of funding really quickly for the testing that was involved in some of the metrics but I'd love to be able to bring back some sort of shell recycling program on a statewide level um, for Maine and leverage some of the relationships I have with the restaurants and raw bars around town and um, just kind of divert some of that waste stream that does get mixed in with garbage to garden and be able to create like a multi-sector solution, um, you know, that helps make a more sustainable planet for us all. Who said no pressure and you definitely took that to heart and answered that well that sounds like a lot of different directions that lady shuckers can move in and it sounds like you've really thought about where you want this to go and how to expand on these ideas while also keeping your values and the mission true to yourself yeah thanks you were talking about supply chain for a bit earlier so i do want to slightly switch gears and go back to that and talk about the different farmer to farmer exchanges that you did in the Gulf and in Madagascar and how these relate to the overall concept and values of lady shuckers and aquaculture in Maine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's two, there was like two farmer to farmer exchanges I did. So the one that I got, um, I got a little bit of funding through MAIC to go. That was actually, yeah, that was wholesale relationships in the Gulf coast. Um, and those were some winter trips that, um, I did both to uh, Charleston, South Carolina, as well as to uh, New Orleans um, for Aquaculture America. And um, those were kind of mission-based trips that we wanted to, you know, again, strengthen the main seafood brand and build these interstate shipping relationships with restaurants and raw bars um, through in-person exchanges and um, as well as develop new kind of wholesale markets um, for women-owned oyster products. So how do we get them into these other places? And so, yeah, down in Charleston, uh, 
I uh, met up with my dear friend Bella, Isabella Macbeth, who's the lead shucker, lady shucker, um, at uh, Nico Oyster Bar. And uh, we did a Learn to Shuck class there where we featured, um, I, I shipped 1,500 main oysters down there. Um, shout <laughs> out, God. shout yeah. out Brown Trading Co. Um, and yeah, we had like a oyster wine shucking class where we featured like four different sea farms from Maine that were owned by women and then a, like two different sea farms from the South Carolina area that were owned by women and then like a couple different women owned wineries um and we had like a shuck off and it was really fun down there do it with Bella um I also got to uh see the Low Country Oyster Festival and sh do a shuck off there um Bella beat me obviously but um maybe next year and I'd just love to be able to take the mobile unit down there for the festival next year with a bunch of Maine oysters and continue to um yeah, tell people and introduce these products to different raw bars in case, you know, they wanted to ship them out um, or, you know, get them to their operations. And then the NOLA trip, um, that was for Aquaculture America, where um, I was a speaker at the DEI panel and was basically just um, using the business as a model for success about, you know, what happens when you incorporate DEI into your business model and, um, yeah, why it's important and the impact of, you know, DEI-based activities and how they can increase revenue and visibility for women-owned businesses. And yeah, again, just advance the main, uh, the main seafood brand. So those were great, great exchanges. Um, and then I actually did go back to Madagascar in November, um, which was with USAID funding. Um, and that was just an incredible experience because yeah, I got to work on aquaculture, an aquaculture development project there. Um, and it was just so crazy to be back. I, I left there in 2018 and I went to a different part of the country, but it was just wonderful to go back and be able to teach people about oyster farming. There's currently like no commercial aquaculture being done in Madagascar. Um, well, there is some shrimp there, there's some shrimp aquaculture being done there, but no oyster aquaculture. There's a little bit of kelp aquaculture um, with Irish moss, but it was just so cool to go back and, and just see, I think, how much I had grown as a person since I had been there as, as a volunteer um, and also be able to like lead presentations and break it down for people very easily and show people that, hey, these rock oysters, um, it's a different species than what we grow here in Maine, but these rock oysters that are just like growing on the rocks, you can harvest them and open them and make your little sauces. You have vinegar here, you have hot sauce, and like you can go, they had a couple eco lodges in their village where, um, you know, foreigners would come and stay. And I basically just showed them what I do. And I was like, here's what I do. I just show up at the places where the people are and I charge a, you know, a price to open them. And then for the sauces and I serve them to people and like, that's what I do to make money in America. And it was just, really, really cool to see that light bulb go off in people's head and see that, you know, they had access to those same things that I was doing to make a living here and that, you know, it was possible for them to maybe do it there. And we built some floating bags and uh, with water bottles and, and mesh. And uh, yeah, it was just very, very cool. I was going to ask what the, if there was already any sort of like infrastructure or uh, any of that, like bags, cages, whatever, but. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the closest thing they had was like, so so they're growing Irish moss over there um, in a pretty large quantity. Um, and they're selling it 
um, they have a buyer um, who's then exporting it to America um, to the dried product to then extract carrageen, carrageenan from it, um, which is uh, amino acid used to uh, in food gelling agents and thickening agents. Um, it's in like a lot of nut milks and yogurts and things like that. So you've probably eaten carrageenan before to those listening. Um, but yeah, they just basically had like a rope and then like cinder blocks as like anchors and then they would save all these like uh, two liter water bottles and that was what they would use to uh, kind of demarcate their line and they had, um, they would transplant the little seedlings. So if people know about, you know, seaweed, it's a very regenerative product. You can like rip off a piece of it and then it will start growing, um, you know, a new plant. So. Yeah, they were doing that with with some success. Um, I have my own thoughts about that process um, and if it was ethically fair to the farmers that were doing the work and if they were getting the right price for the product because they were literally, you know, working around the clock. Um, but I think one of the most important things I could do to support them there was to just, you know, teach them about co-op structure and that they have power as producers and they ha they're the ones that have the access to the land and you know if they have a problem um, you know with the people they're working with then they should um, you know be able to have a discussion about it and lobby for a fair price. Do you have any plans to go back to Madagascar in the future? <laughs> Not at present. Um, yeah that was like a three-week trip in November and um, it was good. It, it was good, but it was it was hard to be back. You know, when when I was there in 2015 to 2018, it was like the seventh poorest country in the world, and it's um, it's now dropped to the third poorest. So it's just it, it's a it, the poverty there is is hard. Um, but we do have you know we were able to drop a, a report and stuff for people with a lot of contact information. You know, to to get in touch and for the regulatory bodies to, to provide training on some of the stuff that that we provided. Um, but you know, just like Peace Corps, I mean, you, you really try to do your best when, when you're there and, and make the most of your time. Um, it's very difficult when you try to wrap your arms around like, you know, the problems of the world because there's always gonna be something that, you know, you can't do in a certain period of time. But I think, you know, I've tried to focus on, hey, just by being there and, you know, sharing experiences, um, you know, you're being a light and, uh, yeah, hopefully it made a difference to, to some folks, but in the near future, I don't have, uh, plans to go back, um, in the immediate future, but that could change. <laughs> if you ever want a field trip, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was actually a very lovely note to wrap up on, but I do want to ask if there's any, like, last minute thing you want to leave people with or any advice that you would give to women, minorities, aspiring to be in aquaculture or any sort of aquaculture adjacent fields, owning a business? Yeah, oh my god, just so many things, you know, um, this stuff doesn't happen overnight, you know, be patient uh, with yourself and with, you know, the, the journey that you're on, you know, the journey is the destination and, um, you know, strengths are great. In, in the workforce, um, but also challenges are where professionals grow the most, you know, and uh, this company and this journey has not been without um, a lot of challenges, both personally um, and professionally. And so, um, yeah, it's definitely taught me a lot about myself, how, you know, I've been able to perform under pressure and the ability to 
um, understand my own problem solving skills and abilities, you know, to manage stress and things like that. And the whole thing has just been such an incredible journey from start to finish. And I'm so immensely grateful for everybody who has supported, you know, the mission and, um, you know, all the farmers we source from who, who make it possible and anybody that's um, contributed to, to the brand or ideas or, you know, bought merch or, uh, you know, done anything, followed on social media. It's just been really, really awesome. And I feel extremely grateful. Thanks, Libby. Um, so if you're not following Lady Shuckers on social media, speaking of social media, you should do that. Like, subscribe, follow. <laughs> um, and you also have a calendar, yeah, on your website that says... Yep, we got a nice be. calendar up, courtesy of Allie, our amazing events and marketing coordinator. Um, yeah, it has all the public events up on there throughout the summer of where we're going to be. We do some stuff in Portland, we're in Biddeford sometimes, and we, we just, we go all over the place. So yeah, come find us. Do it. 